Welcome to the podcast, people. The Jesus Freak Hideout Podcast. The Jesus Freak Show Up and Show Off Podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll go with that one then. See, in my mind, that would be the opposite of hiding out. Show up and show off. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. We are not encouraging Christians to hide out, but rather that a hideout is a place, as in a synonym for hangout. It's a place where fans of Christian music can hang out, just as I am hanging out with Chase here on this Jesus Freak Hideout podcast so that we can talk about awesome things like Sarah Groves and Michael W. Smith. Which, for those of you who are listening, which is all of you because this is radio, I'm wearing a Sarah Groves t-shirt and have a Sarah Groves coffee mug that I just got in the mail yesterday. And I am from Sarah Groves home state. Oh, that's kind of cooler. Nah, I'll take my swag. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Well, uh, before we continue, Mark, I need to introduce this episode's sponsor, and that would be IVM. Uh, If you're not familiar, that's Indie Vision Music. It's another Christian music website that tends to cover more independent and punk music than JFH does. Uh, But we're friends with a lot of folks at IVM, and honestly, it's a great supplement to what you'll read on our website. And if you want to get a taste of the type of music that they cover, you can check out their brand new sampler, IVM Family and Friends. Uh, You can go to store.indivisionmusic.com to pick up the CD for only $3, or it's free along with any other purchase from the web store. You can also get it digitally at IVM's Bandcamp, music.indivisionmusic.com and that comes with four bonus tracks so that's that's 24 songs for only two bucks and it's a really fun mix of independent and -and up-and-coming artists including dogwood craig's brother american arson and more Uh, so now i'm going to play a clip of one of my favorite songs from the album and i'll be playing the full song at the end of the episode of the podcast so this is a portion of a song from the IVM Family and Friends sample number one, titled How We Live by At the Wayside. Yeah, that was a portion of How We Live by At The Wayside. Again, listen to the end of the podcast to hear the full song. And if that chorus has you sold on the project already, don't hesitate to go to store.indivisionmusic.com. And if you like what we do here at JFH, I think it's safe to say you'd like what's happening over at IVM, too. Now, Mark, uh, you've schemed up what will basically be the first podcast tradition. So uh, why don't you tell everyone about it? Now, listeners, we will start a new segment, and we will like to call this segment, Is It Five Stars? And the purpose of this segment is we are going to revisit albums that have received a five-star rating in our Jesus Freak Hideout database, and Chase and I are going to discuss our thoughts on exactly how five-star worthy we think it is. Because, okay, here's the reason that we are doing this. Let's be honest. We hold the five-star rating to be in pretty high esteem on the website Jesus Freak Hideout. We even have our own page dedicated to list all the five-star 
reviews. And we have exactly... 104? 104 five-star reviewed albums on this website. Why some of them got five stars, I have no idea. What in the world was Colin Ackie thinking when he gave Graham Kendrick's What Grace five stars? You know? <laughs> Just throwing people under the bus. I Actually, that album might be five stars. I don't know, but I haven't heard it. Why don't you... You haven't even heard... Oh, gosh. Why don't you go ahead and introduce the album that you have heard and that we are talking about today? Oh, you mean the most positively reviewed album ever on the site? Propaganda's album, Crooked. You gave that album five stars. I did. Alex Caldwell gave that album five stars. Scott Freiberger gave that album five stars. And Josh Below gave that album five stars as well. I am one of the perpetrators. And then throw in a four and a half star review from Mason Heine as well. Oh, Mason. I did not review this album. Do I think it's five stars? Well, if I don't think it's five stars, it's pretty darn close to being five stars. I actually, I didn't review this album, I so I didn't necessarily uh, enter it with a thinking of whether or not it would be five stars. Yeah. I definitely would give Propaganda five stars for his album Excellent, because that is the album that actually made me start listening to hip-hop. And it is one of my favorite albums of all time. And Precious Puritans is one of my favorite songs of all time. And the fact that this album is pretty much a 60-minute version of the song Precious Puritans or the theme of the song Precious Puritans is just so mind-bendingly awesome. Just so mind-bendingly... It's it's amazing. This is an amazing album. I I mentioned that in my... Uh, five-star little mini-review for the album that uh, Precious Puritans is the song that he can't run away from. But instead of even trying to run away from it, he just uh, doubled down and really dug in uh, to everything that made that song both great and controversial. Um, and I think... I, I do agree that Excellent is a fanta- is an excellent album. Um, I think Crooked is the culmination of what's best about Excellent and what's best about the follow-up um crimson cord crimson cord thank you um i almost said crimson stain which would have been close but a little too himsy fun fact that probably no one knows i wasn't a hardcore this has to be a five-star album no matter what um and i'm also not the contrarian that some people think i am i do have some unpopular opinions sometimes but for this album I actually went and asked Alex where he was landing on the album. Uh, so he's writing the main review. And I, I knew that the album is so undeniably great. I knew that he would be landing either at a four and a half or a five. So I was actually stuck in the middle. I didn't know which to give it. So I went to him to ask where he was going to fall and basically just decided that I would support him and his rating. You know, I, I could have given a 4.75 if that was an option. If he wanted to give it a four and a half, I would follow, uh, but he had landed at a five. So you know what? I'm going to follow. I'm actually exactly the opposite. If I know somebody's giving it, if I'm deciding between four and a half and five and I hear somebody's giving it five, I would give it four and a half. See, you're more contrarian than I am. You know, it's funny. Not everyone actually likes this song. The real selling point to me of what makes Crooked a five-star album 
is I Hate Cats. Really? That might be my favorite song of the year. That's the one that might be holding me back from four and a half stars, honestly. That's funny. I think that that song mixes metaphors so elegantly and is so layered and complicated. Um, I love that it fakes a live setting. And you've got like the jazz band playing in the background. You've got the audience talking and chit-chatting and eating. And they laugh at all of the obvious jokes. And for me, like every single time that I've listened to that song, which has been plenty of times, I have laughed. That song has sustained a very real power to just win my emotions over with its logic and the the flow of the argument and how well uh, Prop performs it. And then just uh, just the way it ends <laughs> is, it really gets me every time. And it, 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 it's almost always surprising, even though I, I have seen it coming. The very first time that I heard it and he started making his shifts in argument where you start to see the different ways that that song is about you, race. You kind of see where that song's going, yeah. Yeah, like I was like, I can't believe he's pulling this off. And then you get to the end of the song, and I'm like, I can't believe he pulled that off. And and like I said, like not everyone agrees. I think uh, either Scott or Chris are in the camp of thinking that that's like one of the worst songs on the album. Um, but that song seriously just makes me respect how talented uh, Prop is as both a writer a performer, a thinker. So that, and also I hate cats. Uh, so that just, that song's really uh, just the, the high watermark for me of <laughs> 2017 in music. And I wish more people would hear that song and consider uh, what it's about. I had kind of the opposite first impression. The first time I listened to that song. Now, just to be clear, I like that song. It is a great song. It is a super well-put-together, super thought-provoking song. But the first couple of times I heard it, I actually hated it. I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> I actually... I don't know whether it was because I didn't really get... To me, it made it... He was making it sound like preference is equivalent to racism. And that just really bothered me. I don't think that anymore. I... I mis- I mis- misinterpreted the first couple of times that I heard it, but I felt so strongly like op- opposed to that idea of okay, so we can't even have preferences then, because preferences is equivalent to racism. I I, I actually almost stopped listening to the album. I'm I'll be serious because that bugged me so much. What ended up happening though, I realized that obviously this can't be the case. Mm-hmm. Because propaganda is way too good of a thinker, way too good of a, a an expressor, exactly what you were saying, in order to yep. be making that type of point. So I re-listened to it, and I listened to it a whole bunch of times, and eventually, slowly, I started thinking about it, and maybe this is, this is maybe even a song that might push me to it being a five-star album now. Because just the very fact, even though at first I hated it, just the very fact that I was pulled back into listening to it so many times, and I've thought about that song so much. I've literally thought about that song more than any other song that I've listened to this year. And just all the layers 
to the metaphor, all the layers, to all the complexity to that song and kind of the way that we view racism. And I don't know if it's one of my favorite songs of the year. It is definitely my most thought-provoking song of the year, which mm-hmm. makes it one of my favorite songs of the year. Yeah. But, I mean, even aside from that song, though, there's... Uh, what are what are some of the other songs? Um, Gentrify, an incredibly <laughs> thought-provoking song. That's a song that just uh, comes up in random conversation for me all the time. I'll be like, Gentrify, baby, Gentrify. 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 And, like, when I see, like, new businesses going up around uh, town... Or if I see like small businesses closing down, that song comes to my head. Whole gentrify, foods. baby, gentrify. The concepts throughout that album, they they stick with you. Like that's that's not an album that uh You can't you cannot listen to this album once. It is literally impossible to listen to this album once. Yeah, but if you if you listen to the album, you know, two or three times, you can't leave unfazed, unchanged. Like it really does leave a mark on you. The the ideas stick. The the questions stick and you're forced to ask yourself even when the music fades which mm-hmm. you know is exactly the point at the end of the album i will say uh the way the music fades out in that official closing track and you're just kind of left with the voices is so great it it makes me especially hate that bonus track i wish the bonus track wasn't there i pretend like it's not there i wish it wasn't there too i i rated the album uh in spite of that song um, it seems so weird that an what album... What does it even stand for? I-C-P-C- I-C-P-T-S-D? I, I can't remember, but... I, I honestly can't remember. But an album that so purposefully fades off into silence at the end, I, it makes me wonder, like, who in the world had the idea of putting a bonus track on there? And the bonus track really is, like, the weakest song. Every, every song that comes before it is better, um, of which my other favorite will probably be It's Not Working the Truth. Oh, that... Okay, that is going to be my top song of 2017. Yeah, it's so good. And it's it's crazy that you don't I don't think you see it very often where a rapper has so much faith in his music that he's willing to st- step away for a while. And that song has almost two full minutes without prop in it. Um because it's such a good song. I I know. And then when he does come back He's singing from a totally different perspective. Yes. When I write songs, I always try to write with an ending that's good enough that when you come back to it, you need to hear the whole song again. You, you want to give the listener a reason to listen to the entire four minutes or five minutes or six minutes. You know, one of the problems that I had with the new Beautiful Eulogy album, you know, from the same record label as propaganda obviously and the members of beautiful eulogy created the record label and helped produce uh propaganda's album this, this album right exactly they uh, there's really only one song uh, messiah that brings you to a new place than where it started like there's their songs as good as they are it's like one verse and two verse about the same thing and it's there's great truths and great rhymes uh, and great ideas sprinkled throughout um, but messiah is really the only song where that really has a destination that's completely different than uh, where you started. And when you compare Beautiful Eulogy's Worthy to Propaganda's Crooked, uh, Crooked really does that all the time. I think It's Not Working the Truth probably does it the best, but there's plenty of songs where you, you get to that ending and you're, like, you're just blown away and, and that like 
propaganda set up things all along to take you somewhere. Gentrify, darky, I hate cats. Cynical. Uh, cynical, very much so. Um, you know, blow them it's all It's complicated. Um, it's complicated. Yeah, there's so many good songs. You know what? This is a five-star album. I would give this five stars. Yay! Yay, we did it! Go write yourself a five-star uh, second opinion so we can just solidify its perfection and just make Mason feel really bad <laughs> about his yeah, non-conformity. I'll, I'll, I'll just make it my album of the year like half the other people on staff and yeah, I'll leave it at that. And of course, you know, in future, is it five stars segments, we'll be digging into the uh, depths of the Jesus for Cattos database because you know, we're given two weeks to two months in order to listen to and judge an album and write a review over it. And so sometimes we're really just swinging away at first, second impressions. So to see how an album stands up against the test of time is always fun. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, talking about artists who stand the test of time, I guess that would be a good time to transition back to talking about Sarah Groves. We've got a new hymns album on the block from her, which in a way is kind of like her first official live album and her first official covers album is it a live album um kind of so just earlier today i got to listen to the commentary edition and i know that the final track on the album was just a performance with sarah and her like stand-up bassist and they were playing without a click track completely free-flowing and that last song on the album is he's always been faithful which was originally on Sarah's official debut, Conversations, back from 2001. And it's... uh, One of my favorite albums. (laughs) That's the album that I reviewed to become a staff writer and uh, only gave three... Chase didn't like it. I know, I like it so much, but it's in comparison to the rest of her discography since. It's like my least favorite, which just says how much I love her discography. Fair enough, but it's one of my favorite albums of all time, Conversations. Did you, was it new to you? Like, did you hear it back in like 2001 or 2002? No, it wasn't. You see, I didn't really actually listen to Sarah Groves until more or less a few years ago because I had a big spike right around 2011, 2012 of listening to Christian music. And that was the time when I started really digging back into artist discographies Mm -hmm. and Around that time, I figured, well, Sarah Groves, she's Minnesotan. I'm Minnesotan. I like Minnesotans. So (laughs) I should listen to Sarah Groves. I got more or less all of her albums in a relatively short amount of time. And uh, Conversations is actually one that I got kind of later on because there wasn't a Jesus Freak Hideout review for it on the site. And so I kind of got the albums that were reviewed. Yeah. And so I listened to all those albums and, you know, I liked it at first and then it grew on me. So you you can imagine kind of how that went. And then I had Conversations Mm -hmm. and that was one of the last albums that I actually ended up getting. And man, I just, I just loved it because to me, it was just a perfect balance of soft pop and folk and, you know, acoustic, you know, just that perfect balance you know, accessible enough that, you know, anybody could really listen to it and enjoy it, but different enough from pop music that it still felt really organic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see that. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, my experience with her music is quite different. Um, I saw that 
her 2009 album, Fireflies and Songs, had received some good reviews. I think it had a four-star review from Jesus Freak. And I don't think I heard a single song from it. I just really loved the artwork. That album did have really good artwork. Yeah, it's really cool. Very uh, just aesthetically pleasing. And that with the like four-star review and just hearing good things and hearing that she's this consistent artist made me curious enough that when I was browsing through Amazon and saw that the album was on an MP3 uh, $5 album sale, I was like, yeah, I'll take a chance for $5. That was seriously my introduction to who is now one of my favorite artists of all time. And that album was kind of a challenge for me because just listening to an album that is largely you know, a woman sitting behind her piano singing songs about her marriage and her family, about as different as you could get from what I was listening to at the time. But the album slowly grew on me and be- and became one of my favorite albums of all time so that when she was releasing the follow-up two years later, Invisible Empires, um, she had a deal on her website to purchase all of her CDs for $100. And I had only heard Fireflies and Songs, but I also didn't have a physical copy of it. And I loved it so much and was so excited for the new album. I just decided to dive in. So I got every single one of her CDs, including um, her original independent album, Past the Wishing, including her Christmas album, Holy Night, including uh, her lullabies for kids. Station Wagons. Station Wagons, thank you. Yep. Um, I got all of that at once. And because it came like with Invisible Empires, you know, I spent more time listening to Invisible Empires and getting to the new album. It definitely wasn't striking me the way Fireflies did, which I think a lot of her albums are growers, so I can very easily vouch for that. Right. So when I finally started going through her discography, I was like, well, I've got, you know, like eight or nine albums to listen to. So I would just take like for a week at a time, would just listen to one and then move on and listen to one and then move on. So I spent, you know, a few, gave a few listens to Pass the Wishing, a good few listens to Conversations, and I liked it, but I was just ready to move on, went to All Right Here and just kept moving forward. And through all of that and just, I guess how hard it was to take everything in the albums. Like I had a a pretty long phase with add to the beauty. um, But the ones that really stuck with me the most were tell me what you know, and then still fireflies and songs. And then in 2015, when floodplain came out, that just blew me away. That blew everything out of the water for me. Um, My friend Paul back in Texas said her songwriting is almost like fine wine because it keeps getting better with time. I, 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 (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're gonna hate me for this but i truly believe every single one of sarah's albums has been better than the previous one i don't hate you for saying that i don't include station wagon i don't include oh holy night and i don't include the new album abide with me um but all of her official studio albums of originals i i, I just like each one better than the previous one all right here and conversations is probably the closest to a tie where i don't really think all right here is a huge step up but Really, from there, I think she really just outdid herself again and again and again. I even, to an extent, think Invisible Empires is better than Fireflies and Songs, even though I'm more personally attached to Fireflies and Songs. And we can get into a huge discussion about how we uh, <laughs> you know, figure out our own biases in music and try to critique in spite of those biases. But Floodplain is, is truly one of my favorite albums of all time now. So Abide With Me doesn't come close to hitting those heights. But it is good. I do like it, especially after listening to the commentary edition today. Really helped. So my first time listening to Abide With Me, I was actually v- 
I don't want to put this too strongly, but I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely disappointed because it was so. I mean, there are very good hymns albums out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite albums of last year, which just missed my top 10 uh, albums of the year, was Michael W. Smith's uh, hymns album. And Oh, hymns um, too? Yes, that one. Mm. Uh, which might segue into what we talk about later. <laughs> Smooth. But anyway. Um, well, just to keep with the interruption real quick. You know, this year we've had uh, with the Sing Team and also Matt and Toby, which is primarily uh, a hymns album mm-hmm. and very, very interesting ones at that. And then one album that did make my top 10 last year was Audrey Assad's Inheritance, which is a phenomenal album and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might even even been my number three. So I'm coming off of all these great hymns albums that have been released in recent memory and... Then Abide With Me was just so plain. In a lot of these hymns, there was not a ton of deviation from the original songs. You know, the way that I can kind of tell, or the way that I can kind of like a hymns album is if I can sense if anybody else can sing these hymns like this particular artist on this particular album. And Sarah Groves, I felt like I could see a bunch of different artists that could make an album that sounds similar to this or sounds like this. You know, it just left me unimpressed. As you said before, I can hardly agree with the fact that Sarah Groves is a grower. Every single one of her albums is an album that you like more the more that you listen to it. And the same was true with Abide With Me. I'm got, I've gotten to the point that I like it. You know, there's a lot of substance with the simplicity, which I think is something that you can agree is something that Sarah Groves does very well and has done very well in the past. For sure. And, you know, some of those songs really do end up being songs that, you know, you can tell that Sarah Groves was the only one that could really do them. You know, uh, this title song, Abide With Me. Yeah, that's, that's a highlight. My experience with the album was actually so bad the first time through that I stopped listening. I quit a little under halfway through um, <gasps> from a very similar place of disappointment. So when I returned to listen the second time, I knew to expect to be disappointed and bored through the first few tracks, which basically was still true. Sorry, Sarah, if you're listening. But the album really, <laughs> this is almost going to sound goofy coming off of what I just said about her albums in general. But I almost thought that this album got better as it went along. (laughs) Excuse the broken record. A man of few ideas. Yeah, no, I'm totally, uh, I'm going to say that about everyone that we talk about. I think the album really came alive for me with the love of God. And then Abide With Me was such a fresh song that I think is her own arrangement of sorts. And then you've got Song of Blessing, which is this short song that has the choir all the way through. And which is so beautiful. And the rest of the album captivated me in ways that I didn't expect. Leading up to that final track, uh, He's Always Been Faithful, which quite frankly had me weeping. Uh, no bones about that. There's conversations for you. <laughs> Whatever. I, I stand by my review. I would probably bump that three up to a three and a half. But hey, it got me the job, right? I would still give it a four and a half. I know you would. So 
the the album really won me over and now that i know it to like i have a better sense of the the full album i think the those opening few tracks which i'm not very fond of will grow on me in time uh it it's definitely weird listening to an album from an artist that most of us love for her lyrics with songs that she didn't write so much of her her storytelling and her keen observations on the faith and her very honest writings about her whether it's her husband or her sons or her grandparents for a lot of us that's that's why we love her and that's definitely not true for all the artists i listen to like there's some artists i love where i've barely had any any clue what their songs are about you know i love them for different aspects so it's it's it's, it's a weird experience um but i'm glad she did it i'm very glad she made this album apparently it's something that her husband's been bugging her to make for 15 years <laughs> and the release of it uh, coincides with 20 years of her making music professionally. Uh, she recorded Past the Wishing a little over 20 years ago. So I'm happy to have this in my life to hold us over to the uh, official follow-up to Floodplain, and I hope we get music from her for another 20 years. That I'm sure we will, just like our next artist. Another 40 years of music from Michael Smitty Smith. Michael W. Smith himself. So W. <laughs> In full context, Michael W. Smith, uh, at the recording of this episode, I think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, released his first single and music video for his album coming out in February 2018, A Million Lights. Again, we kind of have similar thoughts on this, don't we, Chase? Uh, if I remember correctly that you love it, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something about Michael W. Smith that, you know, I'm a young guy, okay? Let's face it. Michael W. Smith just turned 60 this year. Happy birthday! I am less than half that age. And honestly, I didn't really even listen to that much Michael W. Smith growing up. I did listen to him growing up. So I was very familiar with him, very familiar with his voice, very familiar with his style. Well, not very familiar, but you yeah. know what I'm saying. And um, again... At the same time that I was kind of discovering Sarah Groves, same thing with Michael W. Smith. Really started digging back into his discography, got all his albums. So like 2012-ish? 2011, 2012, sometime around that era. And uh, I really started to appreciate everything that he's done. And, you know, the more that I listened, again, the more that I really appreciated it. And the big thing that Mm -hmm. I loved about it is... To me, and there are a lot of people that don't feel this way about Michael W. Smith, but each album that he released had its own distinct sound. It was unique. Here's a guy that's done 20 albums and none of them sound similar. To me, at least. Again, there are people that will disagree with that. I'm actually not entirely sure if Chase disagrees with that. I could pick a few albums that are pretty similar. I see some clear connections between earlier work like big picture and eye to eye really yeah and i don't <laughs> i think <laughs> those have sound totally different to me <laughs> well i can revisit i mean i know for a fact that this is your time was created from a lot of songs that didn't make the cut for live the life yes that is true michael w smith recorded 26 songs for the album live the life right and uh 12 of them ended up on Live the Life, and most of the rest ended up on This Is Your Time. Right. So, one, that shows how incredible his sessions were for Live the Life. 
But with the similarities there, I also think there are some pretty great differences. Um, something really fascinating about This Is Your Time is that he threw in a lot more of like choral and gospel and orchestral sounds into that album, which, and this might be like revisionist history, but to me seemed to point at what his next two projects were going to be, which were the instrumental album Freedom, which is a personal favorite of mine, and his first worship album. So I think though both of those projects were very natural overflows from This Is Your Time, which that album was one of my earlier, if not one of my earliest personal CD purchases. And ironically, I bought that song because I thought Missing Person was on it. <laughs> I meant to purchase Live the Life. The album, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I meant to purchase Live the Life because I was looking for the song Missing Person. And I uh, bought This Is Your Time instead. <laughs> this was before uh, they had al- was, the backs of albums. I was a kid. <laughs> and Chase could look on the back of an album to make sure that the song that he was looking for was so, actually on it. I mean, I knew it. I, I knew I loved the song from hearing it on our radio, but I didn't know what it was called. So I thought, I thought what that what that song was what was on. This is your time, man. I was, I was wrong. Well, at least you got a good album. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I should be thankful. You are thankful, Chase. <laughs> you are thankful. Thank you. It's me. Well, that was a little bit of a tangent from what I was going to say. A bit ago about sorry the song a million lights so michael w smith has a very distinct voice and i love that voice mm-hmm. and it's one of those voices that you know you can tell in this song that he's 60 you can tell that he's getting up there in years he's a grandfather but it just sounds so it sounds like your grandfather you know mm-hmm. like he's telling you a story like he's giving you a lesson and i just hear that voice and i'm feel like i'm instantly transported even though i didn't really listen to him that much growing up i feel instantly transported but the thing that really makes that song is just the fresh pop synth sound right and again another sound that michael w smith hasn't ever really done before you know he might have he messed around with synthesizers a bit in like the early 90s late 80s you know i'm think um change your world had it, a lot of synths on it but i mean just the way that this sounds it's so modern it's so fuzzy it's so warm and then to top that off with you know you're used to hearing a young voice mm-hmm. a high pitched female voice or a luring sounding guy voice singing over these this music alluring did you say alluring alluring fantastic instead you hear this grandfather (laughs) and and, i mean just that contrast i love it it's so and it works so well now the music video itself is really boring terrible yeah so he it's interesting he he is finding the balance that shouldn't exist between staying up to date musically and uh, also recognizing his age and buying mm-hmm. into it. Um, it's a balance that I think he was searching for on Sovereign, but couldn't quite hit. That album saw him really buying into the trends at the moment. Trends which, to my dismay, 
more or less still exist. And I, I hated Sovereign so much when it came out. Just recently, I returned to it, and I like it. I, uh, you know, my problems with the U2-ish stadium worship sound, uh, those my issues persist, but the songs themselves are actually quite good. So this is really his return to pop music, and in that sense, makes it more of a direct follow-up to Wonder, which, you know, 2010, we're talking a... Uh, you know, seven and a half year break between pop albums, which is crazy. I'm definitely glad to have him back in that realm. Wonder it remains one of my favorite albums by him. Mine too. Yeah, so Wonder came out right at the beginning of college for me. And that was a time when I had a bit more freedom in my like my musical pursuits and started going to like half price books and entertain Mart more often. Because I I'd only had a car for a few months. I waited almost until high school graduation to get a car and I you know I had a job where I had some expendable income and so falling in love with uh Wonder I started buying his albums wherever I found them you know old like like two four dollar copies uh used ones and pretty quickly managed to build up his entire repertoire so went from being a a big fan of Wonder and I you know I'd been following him for most of a decade anyway um you know I had purchased Stand when it came out and other albums but I didn't purchase Healing Rain. I think that's his worst album ever. Uh, we can argue about that if you want. I liked Healing Rain. Eh. Um, he was like the artist of college for me with Wonder starting at the front of it, me getting all of his albums, and they just they just took me through college, really. Like, few artists come close to touching it. I don't want to mention the other artist that comes close. What, are they not appropriate for this podcast? Barry Manilow, all right. Um, it's so funny to me that you get wonder right at the start of college and then he announces that he's releasing sovereign like within days of me graduating college i think it was may 2014 uh, maybe within weeks of me graduating but you've got these two releases now i i had been waiting all of college for him to follow up wonder and he's literally giving me the follow-up as i'm graduating college and it was such a disappointment to me it made me kind of turn away from him as an artist for a while and I, I realized that I had some like theological disputes with some of his lyrics and it was kind of weird because he doesn't write a lot of his lyrics anyway. And he put out his first hymns project, which I just really wasn't down with. And then he put out that Spirit of Christmas album that I also wasn't down with. And so 2014 just became like this terrible year where I'd been waiting so long for something new and he gives me three new albums and I'm just not down with any of them. So the release of A Million Lights is so nice because... It's like he's winning me back and kind of calling me back and reminding me of why I love him while also giving us that new sound that it is synth and pop enough to be current, but also, you know, a sequel of sorts to wonder. So very excited, very excited to see what else is in store for the full length. I think it is fair to point out that for the most part, we are judging all, all of our judgments being made right now are based on that one song mm -hmm. uh, a million lights and the other song that he just recently released um what was the name of it something about love <laughs> yes the what the one with love in the title yeah um the one of three songs with love in the title um mm -hmm. what can we say if it's the theme of the if, it, if it's one of the themes of the album you know yeah. whatever well, the afters have made a joke uh that you know, they, they were kind of making fun of their first album and said, oh yeah, that's the album where we had love in every single title. 
<laughs> well, I, I went back and looked, and there's only three songs on that album with love in the song title, but <laughs> they look back at well, it as the album with love in every song title. It's just funny to me that they look down upon an album for having three songs with love in the title, and then here we get Michael W. Smith with three songs with love in the title, and two of them are even back-to-back. I think it's like one song called Your Love, and then the next song is like called Hey Love or something. It's like, oh, gosh. Gets me a little worried, but uh, staying positive. Hey Love sounds like a very Michael W. Smithian song title. Hey Love, Hey Love. That does not sound very Michael W. Smithian, though. I, I think the melody did. My my impersonation came out all wrong, and that's fine because I'm terrible at impersonations and I should never try them ever again. <sighs> well, if you can do a good impersonation, then... You know what? Let's have that be one of the things. Chase impersonates. Oh, no. <laughs> that is going to be a new segment on this podcast. Chase impersonates. I mean, you're a musician. All right. You give, can sing. Give me someone to impersonate. You want me to give you somebody to impersonate? Yeah. Okay. John Foreman. (laughs) How about we move to the segment where we take turns introducing each other to an album that one of us has never heard before. And you have to listen to the suggested album and report back on your thoughts the next episode. Was that a poor attempt at a segue? Yeah. Yeah. It was a really poor attempt at a segue. Okay, fine. My album for you, I think is very appropriate considering one of the album reviews that you wrote earlier this year and a comment that you made on to a reader on that particular album. Oh no, you're about to, oh dang. Okay. So this because I didn't know who who Martin Smith was. Yes. Dang it. Oh, so I think that it would be very appropriate for you to listen to an album that is one of my particular all-time favorite worship albums. Delirious. And yes, the album is from Delirious and the album is called Glow. All right. (laughs) It is from the year 2000 and it is, in my opinion, one of the first best epic worship albums out there in existence. Just a little bit of background information also on this pick because there's I have a story with this album. So in another life, I'm an athlete, or at least I was. When I was in college, one of the things that I w- would always do before I went and ran 400 meters or 400 meter hurdles or 600 meters or whatever event that I was running in track and field, I would always uh My teammates used to tease me about this, but I had a duffel bag that had two giant pillows and two giant blankets, and I would set up the pillows, set up the blankets, and wrap myself up in them like a cocoon, and lay down, put earphones in my ears, and listen to an album, listen to something. Usually it was really long, and... Oftentimes it was a worship album. You know, David Crowder was another uh, band that I always listened to. Uh, Iona, which is another kind of more obscure band, Celtic progressive rock. But one of my favorite albums that I would listen to was Glow. this album, Glow. Mm-hmm. I guessed it. G-L-O, by the way. Oh, gosh. Sit, lay down, wrap myself up in my cocoon, 
uh, listen to 75 music or 75 minutes of music from Delirious, or rather, I should say, Delirious. Wait, is this album 75 minutes long? Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to wrap myself up in blankets and lay on the ground in the cocoon to listen to it, do I? If you want to get the full experience, then it might help. <laughs> duly noted and then as soon as the album was over i would get up warm up and run my race and i kid you not almost every single meet that i did my first race of the day was always my best are you sure it's not because of the cocoon and simply because your first race you wore yourself out and then didn't have the energy and stamina for future races Mark, 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 Mark. First off, to the world, I apologize that the promotional information for the Beatitudes album by Stu G didn't happen to mention that the song with Martin Smith was a song with his former bandmate. Blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, I thought that this would be an appropriate album (sighs) to begin our little listening excursion. But here's the thing, though. I really think that you will like this album. I'm going to put that out on record. I really think that you are going to like this album, Glow. That is on record. 75 minutes long as it is. Year 2000 as it is. I think (laughs) you will like it. To be fair, I did listen to a 79-minute album yesterday. Well, there we go then. Yeah. You know that long albums can be good. I I didn't just learn that yesterday. I was... Okay. (sighs) Okay. So, are you excited to listen to Glow this week? I am excited to listen to Glow, and I'll report back next week with an album for you to listen to. All right. I will look forward to it. He will look forward to it. And I will not look forward to it with dread. Much appreciated. Because unlike you, I am very excited to listen to new music. (sighs) This isn't new music. It's old music, Mark. It is new to you. Shut up. (laughs) So, are we going to call that a wrap? That's a wrap. Farewell. Thanks for listening, and it is pronounced Dibiase. <laughs> the Jesus Freak Hideout podcast is hosted by Mark Rice and me, Chase Tremaine. Production, editing, and music is also by me. The podcast is executive produced by John Dibiase and Christopher Smith. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, you can send an email to Christopher at JesusFreakHideout.com. Thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Indivision Music. And don't forget to check out the IVM Family and Friends Sampler number 1 by going to store.indivisionmusic.com. Now, check out this full track from the sampler, How We Live by At The Wayside.